Hi, folks. While we're on break, we want to share this two-part interview I did on Latinx Can podcast with Dr. Jenny de Flores. Please do listen to both of them. I think you're really going to enjoy it. On this first episode, I talk with Jenny a little bit more about my background and Jenny shares some of her background. It reveals why you'll often hear me say inclusion is a choice. Enjoy. You can decide like, hey, I recognize this person. They're a whole human being, not just whatever I initially see or how they speak or how they dress. Like they're just another human like me. I can choose to see them as a whole individual or I can choose not to. Welcome to Latinx Can, a podcast showcasing Latinx professionals who turn their dreams into realities. I'm your host, La doctora Jenire Flores Delgado, and today I'm here with Dr. Lynette Mera, co-founder of the Unconscious Bias Project, a nonprofit that uses scientifically backed tools and approaches to drive systems change. And she is here to tell you, si se puede, my friends, si se puede. Dr. Lynette Mera, welcome to Latinx Can. Hi, thank you so much for welcoming me, Jenny, and for inviting me to come speak on your awesome podcast. Oh, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but I'm very excited about talking about not just your story, but <laughs> also about the work that you do, which is incredibly important. So let's start by talking a little bit about your story and where your story begins. Before we get into it, I do want to say um, I'm currently in Berkeley in the Bay Area, and it's unceded ancestral homeland that belongs to the Chechenyo, Ramaytush, and Muekma Ohlone people. So I just wanted to like put that out there first. I think one of the things that um, we forget sometimes when we're just listening to ourselves on audio is that we're we're on actual you know real ancestral homelands of other people, and so I, I did want to bring that up. And I think that also connects a little bit to my story. So um, I am from Bogota, Colombia. Um, I'm born to uh, my parents. My mom and my dad uh, came from ba basically single parent households. Um, and they were sort of one of very few people that had the opportunity to go to college in their families. And they're both Um, engineer. So that's like my background. Both my parents are very smart. Mm -hmm. And so I was born in Colombia and I grew up actually in five different countries. I grew up um, in Nigeria, in France, in Venezuela. I also, you know, grew up a little bit in Colombia and I also um, uh, grew up in the States. And the thing that moved me around so much is uh, my dad uh, worked in the oil industry. Mm -hmm. uh, Colombia is unfortunately notorious for not having very good Uh, job security. Mm -hmm. And um, so the really the only way to have uh, stable income and job security is if you're working with a non non inside Columbia type of company, like a multinational company. So my dad actually had wanted to be a physics teacher, but you know, they were talking about starting a family and being able to provide for us uh, the things that they they couldn't have. 
Um, and so, and so that was, that was sort of what the decision that my, my dad made. And I, I mentioned all these pieces because, um, I mean, there are folks that are listening, can't, can't see me, but I am a, a very white passing, <laughs> uh, woman of color. Um, and I actually recently found out that I have indigenous ancestry, oh, wow. um, but of course, I can't trace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have, I share, I think, over 40% of my genetic markers with um, other indigenous people um, from Colombia and Peru. Um, but of course, nobody's going to admit that, right? <laughs> uh, so it was interesting sort of, you know, growing up around the world, you know, being Colombian, my, um, my parents knew how important learning English was. And so my mom was actually the one who taught me English at the same time as I was learning Spanish. So I would learn the colors, amarillo, azul y rojo, and then I would learn them in English, like <laughs> yellow, blue, and red. And, um, and you know, and I, I grew up in, you know, going to school in lots of different schools. Like in Nigeria, I was in a British international school for expats. In France, I went to an actual French school. So I learned French when I was in France. I went to school in French. When I was in Venezuela, I was in a bilingual American school, which is a trip. And then um, in Colombia, I was in, I was actually a a private uh, Catholic school. So that's another trip. And (laughs) in the States, when we finally landed in the States, we landed in Texas, which is like another country. Yes. And uh, (laughs) in the the outskirts of Houston, there I went to a public school. Um, and that was like a whole nother experience. And so, you know, I think all of these different contexts, sort of this, uh, the background that I have, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm the palest one in my family. I'm like the rana platanera, <laughs> the like, the, you know, in Mexico, they say the yeah. buenita, like, <laughs> I was the, literally the palest one in my family. And I thought, I swear, I had like trigueña skin, like, <laughs> like, you know, like light brown skin until I moved to France where it was cold. And so I was never out in yes. the sun that much. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm pale. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so anyway, so all, all of this to say, like, I think until I, I was, I became a teenager, right, coming of age, I didn't really notice that I was, I was different, I didn't feel different mm-hmm. from anybody mm-hmm. else. I just, you know, I'm gonna, you know, go play here with, with my friends, I'm gonna go, you know, learn at a new school and, you know, traveling and learning, you know, bits about different languages and different cultures, trying different foods was, was part of growing up, it didn't feel like that strange. And so I wasn't really aware um, that people thought about each other any differently, really, like not even through nationalities or ethnicities, but um, definitely not by race. I think until I went back to Colombia as a teenager. So to set this, set the context, I was, uh, you know, I had my pink Barbie backpack, I had my pink rimmed glasses. <laughs> I was like excited to learn. I was a total nerd. Like I loved uh, reading and learning about things since I was like really little. Um, I wanted to be a scientist. I saw this on like National Geographic, uh, Dr. Eugene Clark, which is one of the major ichthyologists in the field. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to study sharks. Like, this is so cool. I want to be a marine biologist. Oh, that's so amazing. I was 100% nerd from the get-go. Um, so I arrive at this um, private Catholic school in, in Colombia, in Chia. So, so it's on the outskirts of, of Bogota, if you will. And these peers of mine were talking about having sex and shaving their legs mm. 
And I was 10. I was like, <laughs> wow, what is happening here? I, like, I cannot, like, that moment was the biggest culture shock in my life. Mm. Like, Nigeria, France, nothing. Like, yeah. Venezuela, no <laughs> culture shock. This was, like, the biggest culture shock in my life. And and I got othered because I liked school and I was quiet and I liked to, to read and I could speak English without an accent. And it was it was really it was really sad, uh, you know, looking back, you know, and of course, I, I came into the school and I was the only person that didn't have any other connections there. Right. So it was it was I think it was really easy to other me and, you know, just kids just do this. And I think I describe the setting this being bullied, which Oh, it was uh, pretty unfortunate. I like um, broke both my wrists while I was there. I uh, suffered sexual harassment from another oh. classmate, yeah. and I struggled to talk about. I couldn't figure out what the words were. I didn't have the language to describe what was happening mm-hmm. to me, and it was really hard. Uh, and then because of other reasons, so uh, the reason why we were in Colombia was my dad was trying to leave the oil industry because. Don't get me started. That's like another podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was trying to leave Colombia. Uh, sorry, trying to leave the oil industry. So he went back to Colombia, you know, tried a few different businesses and it didn't work out. So then he went back into the oil industry. So we went back to Venezuela at that point. We went back to a school where I had been up until recently. Mm-hmm. And I was the exact same person as I was, you know, the same kid that was being bullied in Colombia. I moved to, back to this other school and I was instantly popular. Mm. And this sort of juxtaposition of being the outcast and then being suddenly the most popular person, yeah. like, wreaked havoc on my teenage mind, mm. but I think is really the nucleus of how I move in the world and what brought me to my work mm-hmm. now, which mm-hmm. is just noticing, like, inclusion is a choice. To include somebody in your games, to include somebody in your lunchtime Right. is a choice. And so you deciding like, oh, somebody else is is like talking funny about this person that I'm going to do that too. That mm-hmm. is a choice, right? Yeah. And I really think that's sort of spoiler alert for people that are listening. <laughs> I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> and um, I, that's really at the crux of everything of, you know, it's, it's choices that we make when we um, don't ex- accept uh, people that speak with accents in our groups. It's a choice right. that we make when we... Um, don't ask somebody that's a parent to join you for a happy hour. It's a, you know, yeah. you can decide like, hey, I recognize this person. They're a whole human being, not just whatever I initially see or how they speak or how they dress. Like, they're just another human like me. They have interests like me. They have pains like me. I can choose to see them as a whole individual or I can choose not to. I think that's that's a great realization to have especially at, at such an early age, because I think of my experience as well, and I didn't leave Venezuela until I was close to being 18. So for the most part, even though we all look different, right? like I'm the darkest in my family, closer to my dad's side of the family. But if you see my mom, she's completely white. And she does, we don't look like we are related. In fact, uh, <laughs> there is like my sister and I, we don't look like we are related. And we used to go to 
to this sports club uh, that my dad plays tennis at all the time. And this time we were not with my dad and I had forgotten my car to get in. And my sister had hers and she was driving. So we go through the, like to the checkpoint and the guard asks us for our cards. And I said, oh, I don't have mine, but my sister has hers and we're sisters. And the guy looks at me and at my sister and they're like, uh, I don't think oh so. My I don't think you guys are related. <laughs> and we're like, oh, we, it's, it's for sure. It's true. I know we are, you know, I'm, I'm darker than my sister, but we are from the same mother and from the oh same father as well. But um, anyway, I mean, they let us in. But what I'm trying to say is that we grew up or I grew up in this homogenous atmosphere, even though we look different from each other. Mm-hmm. But when I, I went to study in Swaziland, that's when people were really different from me. It was people mm-hmm. from different nationalities, different countries, mm-hmm. different races, different cultures, right? Yeah. And I spent two years there. And then I went back home. And like you said, it was the biggest cultural shock <laughs> to go back home after having lived that experience. Mm-hmm. Because you think differently, because you see things differently. And I remember one time I was sitting with my dad and his friends at the sports club. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about my experience. And he, my dad's friends were talking about how in Swaziland, they have such a high rate of um, AIDS. Hmm. And so they were shunning the country because of that. And they were, they were also, I was commenting that Kin Mansuati is um, a polygamous kin. And he had mm. at the time maybe like 14 wives or something like that. Wow. And, and I was trying to explain that having many wives and many kids would be a sign of status. Mm-hmm. And hence why they also have a lot of, a very high rate of AIDS in the country because they don't believe in protection because then you can't have children, mm. then you can't show your status. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I was going through that rabbit hole and <laughs> they were like, oh, how ignorant it is to have so many children or oh something gosh. like that. And I was like, you know what? For them, they are showing their status by having children. But we do the same. We only buy houses and cars that are a lot more expensive than we can afford, you know. It's no different. We just show it in different ways. Mm -hmm. But just having that realization in that moment Mm -hmm. is like, wow. Like, everything is is so much different from just having lived that experience just two years abroad and and just Mm. understanding different points of view, right? Yeah. I I hear you saying like, you know, you understood that the values, the values were the underpinning that made some of the sort of AIDS transmission prevention really challenging. And yeah, it's, I I think that's, that's really key is, is understanding values and sort of accepting like, okay, others have different values from me. And that's, that's just the way it is sort of like, it's not, it's not like right or wrong. It's not. Um, you know, left or right. Uh, but but I think, you know, you're totally right. And I, it's it's part of what I think is the is underneath a lot of, of fears that people have about the other, right? Like they, yeah. they're just so different, or they don't understand or they're not they don't value the things that are important. It's just, you know, they have different 
Like if you would say like, oh, well, you know, because Venezuelans, you know, don't have, you know, a bunch of children, then they don't value family. Like that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like valuing family it's, is a completely different thing in it. Um, it. It's shown in different ways, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that's, that's really, that's really critical. When I came to the U.S., um, I landed in the U.S., I think I just turned 15, and I came into a, a public high school. And it was it was such a, I mean, everything was a culture shock. Like, I, you know, this is Texas. So there was, you know, in Bogota and Chia, like the um, all the houses are close together. All the streets are small. And in mm-hmm. Texas, you know, driving from the airport, they're just like, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but like miles of cars that are in parking in lots because those are where people sell cars. Like the, the car sales area that I knew of were yeah. maximum like half a city block. Like that's it. Like those were the big ones. But it was uh, actually it was it was in Texas that I had um, probably some of the worst experiences with with racism. Um, as soon as people learned that my parents were from Columbia. I remember this one time a kid like my age was like, oh, you're from Columbia. Um, can you dad score, score me some cocaine? I was just shocked because yeah. for us in, in Colombia, growing up in Colombia, growing up after, you know, La Violencia, which ended ish, like right around um, when I was born and, yeah. uh, you know, seeing seeing the real cost of the drug trade and Las Farc and all the guerrilla and the, you know, the internal strife and what, what drug use did to people, how um, guerrilla would force farmers to stop cultivating what they were cultivating in order to grow cocaine, in order to grow pot, things that they could trade. You know, if you didn't stop whatever you're growing to grow, you know, these uh, drug crops, they would kill you. They would kill your family yeah. and they would do it in mm-hmm. front. You know, like it's, it's, everybody knows that. Like it's not, it's not something like, oh, I happened to hear, you know, everybody knows that. You ask anybody, like you, they know what it was like. Yeah. I was livid. I remember I was, I was totally livid. Um, my sibling uh, got kicked out of their um, girlfriend's house being called in uh, trigger warning for folks out there. I'm about to say a racial slur being called a, a wetback. Oh, wow. He was like, you dirty wetback, get out of this house. Mm. And it was just like, what is what is even happening here? Yeah. Um, and in, when I went to college, I ended up going to college in, in Texas A&M. I knew nothing really about colleges um, other than, you know, we've heard of Baylor, we've heard of MIT, but those were really far. Mm. And so the only other ones that people were talking about were UT Austin and Texas A&M. Correct, yeah. And Texas A&M was close and I missed... Uh, some deadline or some like letter of reference for for UT Austin. I remember um, when I was at Texas A&M, I did a lot of work actually with uh, um, international groups. I started a language learning institute. Uh, I was part of the um, Colombian student organization there. But I was doing that at a time when this was right after 9-11. And so there were literally emails going out like almost every month to students, like, please walk in groups because we're getting reports of um, anybody with headscarves or, you know, that might have some sort of Muslim garb associated with them um, getting hit behind the head with a baseball bat by students, other students in pickup trucks. So if you don't know Texas A&M, this is like a 
only for universities. So it's a college town. It's a college town. It's a college town. Like there's there's nothing else out there other than these colleges. Mm-hmm. And I even, and I was like, okay, oh, this is terrible. And, you know, I was one of those small groups of people that would protest against the counter protesters that were protesting on Gay Pride Day um, on campus. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Texas A&M is... <laughs> Another chalk for me, because I was coming from the University of Florida, where um, I was an an international student at the University of Florida. And a lot of my friends Mm -hmm. came from UWC, uh, which is the schools that I went to when I was in Eswatini Mm -hmm. in Swaziland. So I had this group of very international Mm -hmm. people. And um, and then I had a very, very large Latino population, mm-hmm. Latinx population coming from Colombia, Venezuela, um, and mm-hmm. then Cuba as well. A, a lot of representation mm-hmm. from different countries that, in contrast to Texas, mm-hmm. is mostly Mexico, right? So when I went to Texas A&M, I've, I've said this before, I was like, Going, making the choice to go to UF was a very intentional mm-hmm. choice in which I wanted to be surrounded mm. by Latinx people because I missed it for two mm. years. I missed it a lot and I wanted to broaden my experience, but I also wanted to stay mm-hmm. connected to my roots. So that was my intention. When I applied to grad school, I forgot that that was not something that I could mm. find everywhere. And I did not think about that when I went mm. to Texas A&M. And when I arrived, I was like, I was in shock. I was like, wow, this is a totally yeah. different place. I did not expect to, this to be like this. Um, but I mean, I think you, yeah. you adapt, but those things that you're mentioning happening right mm-hmm. after 9-11, I, I can only imagine how people felt and how insecure it was for people who would just wear a headscarf. It didn't have... It didn't mean more mm-hmm. than just wearing something. Like, you know, it, it it represents your culture. It represents your values. But it, it's just people mistaking that I that thing that they can see from you and just portraying you as mm-hmm. a threat mm-hmm. to them. But most recently, it was maybe a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, just before I graduated mm-hmm. with my PhD, they passed a law that they allowed people at the university to carry guns. Oh my gosh, I remember that. And what was so terrifying, Lynette, is that the law passes and people start carrying guns. And for the most part, I didn't really feel threatened because I didn't teach anymore. So I was just in my office and doing my PhD. Mm -hmm. But they sent an email because a professor was threatened by a student. And this professor was of... Arabic descent and and it was just nothing happened but they did say that uh, some some student had come into their office with a gun and they had threatened oh them gosh. and I just read that and at that moment I I had to leave I had yeah. to go home because I could not understand how in this first world <laughs> country you know I have to fear about somebody not even wanting to steal my shoes, you know, just having some ill feelings because of the person that they Mm -hmm. think I am, not even because of the person I am. And I had to pack up Mm. and go. So like thinking about how this was the same years Mm. ago, it's like, it's it's disheartening that not much has changed. 
I'm so sorry. That that sounds like an absolutely horrifying experience. <sighs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was terrible. It was, um, I mean, I'm okay, but I just never thought that yeah. that was, that was something that I was going to yeah. live here. So right now for folks that are listening, we're recording in July of, of 2021. Uh, you know, we're, it's still, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter is still really fresh in everybody's minds. Uh, you know, people are still, you know, still have very recent memories of the attacks on uh, in D.C. Um, towards uh, Congress people like, you know, we're still thinking about that. And there's still a lot of there have been still, you know, even though people are trying to stay home and whatnot, there's been a lot of violence and specifically gun violence directed um, against people of color. Uh, I mean, continued and worsened uh, gun violence towards uh, black folks, Latinx folks, First Nations people, um, Asian, Asian American, Pacific Islander. Um, you know, it just it just sort of continues. And there's I've never under you know like this whole guns guns thing like oh well if you had a gun then you would be able to defend yourself the problem is is that if you are not white if you own a gun then you are a threat right it's like the whole like the whole gun ownership piece even still has way you know roots into slavery and colonialism and this sort of like fear right there is this whole thing is like you're going to fear that, you know, they're going to take away your jobs. They're going to take away your wives. They're going to take away your your resources. And I think that's that's very much still at the crux of a lot of where, um, you know, white supremacy still gains hold and um, our uh, inequitable systems still function. And, um, you know, the way in which, you know, still a lot of um, conservative pundits gather um, support, gather, gather money and resources and people to support their causes is this idea of fear. Um, and I think, you know, folks like, like you and me, we've, we've had the chance to meet a wide variety of people, to, to experience a wide variety of cultures. And I think, um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself, but... You know, I see, I just see so much commonality. I see, you know, there are a lot of differences in our different, I mean, even Colombia and Venezuela, like we're so close to each other. We're very different cultures. And even within Venezuela and within Colombia, like there's so many different subcultures, depending if you're in the city, if you're in the uh, rural lands, if you live near the Amazons, if you are in the mountain area, it's just even the, the way we speak our languages, um, the way we dance, the kind of foods we, you know, everything is, it can be really different. And I, I find that difference exciting and interesting. And it's what I try to bring into my work. Um, and as opposed to fear-based, right? Like if you, if you live in fear, if you're like tense all the time, like, am I going to do the wrong thing? Like, you know, if you're a, a white person, you never interacted with somebody that's black, for example. There are still places like that. Lots of European countries don't have a very uh, large uh, population of black people, for example. Um, you know, you're worried, like, I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing. Just be open. It's just like, you know, open, curious. Like, you know, you there's just, there's so much to to learn to connect like everybody is is unique and different and and that's 
that's great. That's like a, a wonderful thing. And, um, you know, being scared of like, oh, they're going to take away something. It's like, no, I, you know, we're living in this, this idea of like there's scarcity. Well, there's not enough jobs or there's not enough money. Or, you know, if you, if you create this, you know, national program for people to help, I don't know, Latinx youth get into college, then my kid won't get into college. Like if there's actually a lot of, of opportunities, there's a lot of, of resources, you know, we're not, especially in the U.S., it's not a situation where like, you know, the economy is, is tanked and there's no growth. Like that's, that's not the setting. It's not like there's not enough land in the U.S. to, to have a home. That's not the, that's not the case. I understand what you're saying, because is this, uh, is, you know, it's not our fault that, or people's fault that they have not interacted or that they have not been exposed yeah. to other people. But when you are, it is your fault if you don't take advantage of the opportunity. Mm. And, and like you said, staying curious and asking about it. You know, I don't always know everything, but knowing that you don't mm -hmm. know everything and that you are mm -hmm. there to learn. I think I've, I've, I listened to Brene Brown and one of the things that, I, uh, one of her mantras is, I'm, I'm not here to get mm. it right. Um, oh, I can't forget. I'm not here to get it right. I'm not here to be right. I am here to mm. learn or something like that. And it, it is so, It's. I think it's about that. It's about going in with an open mind and knowing that I think very important it is knowing that you can learn mm. something else, that you're not in that interaction to come and teach people or to um, minimize mm -hmm. other people but it is an exchange in which we can both learn yeah. from each other and I think that that's really mm -hmm. important knowing that it's not your fault not to be exposed to those situations but if you do have the the option and the opportunity then you should mm -hmm. take advantage of it exactly how you approach how you yeah. take advantage of the opportunity I think that's really key let me talk a little bit about Texas A&M because you you mentioned that you didn't really know much when you when mm -hmm. you were to apply for college and the cost of going to university in the United States is astronomous it's mm -hmm. so Uh, it's it's a big impediment for people to aspire to get a college education. Mm -hmm. And even though your parents are professionals, I can imagine that that th there it could be a challenge even for a, a family of professionals. Mm -hmm. Do you find any scholarships or any opportunities that helped you get through college? Yeah, I so in the states. Um, it's so key to have a college counselor or a teacher that can help guide you. We didn't have that. And mm -hmm. I know now that um, my um, high school counselor didn't recommend me for, she didn't, she never even mentioned advanced placement courses, mm -hmm. which are so important because I, I don't know how it is now in Texas, but back then, um, you know, your GPA was capped if you didn't take advanced placement courses. But if you take advanced placement courses, then you can have a much higher GPA than if you just went to regular classes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And I mm -hmm. was I 100% think that they put me in the non-advanced category or didn't even talk about that because I'm Latina, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not supposed to be smart. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be interested in chemistry or anything like that. So I, I just sort of figured those things out on on my own. And my parents and I 
um, did the research. I mean, you said uh, family professionals, but my dad was the only one that really kept um, the job because they moved mm-hmm. around so much. My mom wasn't able to um, continue her work because she, she would have to get a work visa every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did do some like, you know, running uh, businesses where we were in, in Colombia and they, they started, you know, dabbling in real estate when, um, when they were in, in Texas. Um, so when I was getting ready to apply for colleges, I had just gotten a green card. Like I had just been mm-hmm. told that I would be awarded a green card. I didn't have it in hand, yeah. mm-hmm. which made things really difficult because most universities don't recognize you as a permanent resident until all of that paperwork is done, until you have like a mm-hmm. number you can point to. Like mm-hmm. having the official car like letter from the government is not enough mm-hmm. um so it was really challenging to find um because i could define financial aid because a lot of them required that you have like a permanent residency in order to be able to to access any sort of scholarship um so i got i think we got really lucky in that AM was able to offer a half ride really was what it ended up being mm-hmm um and that was through you know and I, I think i applied for everything i think i remember i applied for like a, a coca-cola scholarship <laughs> i i applied for everything that i could search on the internet at the time yes. yeah um because you know my my uh high school counselor was crap right yeah uh, so we just did we i just applied to everything i could and really the the decision to end up going to texas a&m was it was so one it was one of the schools that didn't um force me to pray when they brought us to visit. Um, so wow. I'm, I'm atheist. My parents are atheist. <laughs> yes. And I just, I don't have any, there's nothing wrong with religion. I think religion is really powerful and really supports lots of people through their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they need it to have good values and morals, great. Like, do your thing. Yeah. But I don't feel like I need to have to pray in order to be a good person. Right. Anyways, so, what, so when it was one of the few universities that didn't require uh, prayer, when I went to go interview. Um, two, it was one of the few universities that did offer me a scholarship. And so I got the mm. um, I got the um, uh, academic achievement scholarship that was like a okay. half ride. Okay. Um, but outside of that, I, I didn't qualify for anything else. Like basically yeah. I got I got shunted for um, for not being a, a permanent resident. And mm-hmm. I just, I didn't know, we didn't know that much about what was out there. Um, and then, and then A&M was um, in driving distance from my parents because my parents yeah. were in, in Katy. And so this was like an hour and a half drive. Yeah. I think. <laughs> if I remember an correctly. Hour and a half. Yeah. No, like about two hours ish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's so important because in our community, so many people, we have so many people that are undocumented, but are mm-hmm. also wanting to pursue their goals and there there are opportunities out there we just have to really look for them it's it's not what I'm trying to say is that it is hard but it's not impossible and Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that we want to do in this podcast is try to highlight those opportunities that are available so that people can actually fulfill their dreams this is Mm -hmm. it's like I said it's challenging but it's not impossible and I think for other people to know that uh, (laughs) somebody like you and me uh, not really having any roots in this country we can Mm -hmm. still do it I think this is very important yeah, absolutely. 
I think one of the things, you know, we talked a bit about opportunities is every time there was an opportunity, I try to take it. Mm-hmm. So there was this scholarship. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Like, I didn't know anything about Texas A&M, but I'm going to go there. I yeah. um, I started an undecided major because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into arts or into science. Yeah. And so I took like, I think I took um, a liberal arts 101 course. I took a sociology course and I took a genetics 101 course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had a really good science teacher. And so I ended up going that route. But I feel like you know, it just it just kept on being opportunities that opened. So with yeah. the scholarship that I got, um, A&M had a sort of leadership program that mm-hmm. would um, connect other uh, scholarship recipients to each other and sent us to Italy um, nice. to, I think they, the idea was to learn about leadership, but I don't remember anything about leadership. I just remember <laughs> about the trip. <laughs> Which it's was hard amazing. to compete with Rome and things like that, you know. <laughs> um, but like that, you know, I, I took it. Um, you know, I, I had this good genetics uh, professor, so I I chose um, I chose uh, to do science instead. Um, you know, I had I tried actually um, to do bioinformatics, which is what um, my dad. I literally remember my dad and I opening a book on like degrees. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, what are science degrees that sound cool? Okay, this one, this one. Because my dad's, you know, engineer. He doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about like molecular biology, biochemistry, yeah. genetics, nothing, none of that, right? Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, bioinformatics. I'm going to like search bioinformatics in the courses. There wasn't a course on bioinformatics, but there was a lab. And so I was like, okay, I want to join your lab. And it was really boring. So I didn't do bioinformatics. Mm-hmm. But there was another uh, lab that was open on uh, bacteriophage genomics. This is Dr. Young, um, who's still at AM, I think, and Dr. Summer. And and they were they were open and they were happy to to teach undergrads. And so I I did that and that was awesome. And I loved I loved being in the lab. I loved I learned about sequences yeah. and I, you know, curated genomes and it was really fun. And because Dr. Young taught this like graduate level course on bacteriophage, that, that was like his jam. I wanted to learn about bacteriophage. And so he's like, yeah, you can totally come and, and take a and take the class. And so I did, you know, I took that opportunity and I did that. And that, and because I, I was so interested in lab and I really enjoyed like my molecular biology class, I started talking to my teachers, my professors, like, yeah, I'm really interested. And I was friends with um, a bunch of the international engineers, mm-hmm. this, you know, nerd. <laughs> um, and that was my crew. And they were all doing internships in their third and fourth years. And so I was like, okay, I want to do an internship. Like, I want to do that too. That sounds great. And I'm a total anime nerd. And so I was like, I want to go to Japan. I want to experience Japan. It would be really cool. And so by just connecting to to the professors there, and I, I remember I told Dr. Hu, who um, unfortunately passed away, uh, I think it was last year or two years ago, uh, Dr. Hu, who was my uh, molecular biology uh, teacher, I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm doing this this lab work with Dr. Young, and it's really great, um, but I really want to do an internship like my friends are doing in engineering, and I want to go to Japan, and it would be really cool, but I haven't found one. Um, I joined um, Ayesta, it was. It was like an international association for the uh, science, okay. technology, and engineering exchange, something like that. 
um, where you could get placed in, you know, internships around the world. And I told him about like, oh, I joined this thing, but I couldn't find an internship for science. He's like, mm-hmm. I have a friend in Japan. Let me reach out to him. And he did. And I landed yeah. an internship in Japan, paid internship in Japan with housing at, mm. a, at a graduate uh, research institute. Um, it's called NA, NAIST in Nara and Japan. And it was amazing. And actually being in Japan in this internship, the professor that I was uh, working for there, Dr. Mori, um, he's like, have you thought about graduate school? I, I noticed you really like your, mm. you know, the research that you're doing. Have you thought about graduate school? It's like, no, I didn't. I, I never mm. considered that I could go to graduate school. I didn't, I yeah. <laughs> Here I was taking advanced, you know, graduate school courses, good to working in a lab. And he's like, have yeah. you thought about going to graduate school? I was like, no. And he's like, uh, where would you want to go? I was like, <laughs> can I work with you? You're great. And he's like, you know, for your career, you should really go to, you know, do science in the mm-hmm. States. That's the best way to set yourself up for your career. So here is a guy that I met through a professor that I happened to go to this school because they happened to offer me a half ride mm-hmm. scholarship and it was close enough to my parents' house. And the only reason why I even talked to that professor in the first place was because I tried yeah. a Genetics 101 class that was awesome. And the only reason mm-hmm. that I got to Japan is mm-hmm. because I talked to that professor about wanting to go to Japan and that I like doing science. And I wouldn't have had this conversation with this uh, professor in Japan if it hadn't been for me going to Japan, you know, just going and yeah. try. I was there by myself. And there was nobody else there. It's just me. And really wanting to learn and, and you know, do my best to, to learn out there. And he was the one that suggested oh. I go to school um, mm. in San Francisco. He was like, have you heard of UCSF? I'd never heard of it ever before. And um, he's like, yeah, my colleague there, Dr. Carol Gross, um, you, sh- you know, you should totally um, talk to her. And she is like one of the foremost microbiologists, yeah. uh, molecular biologists in the world. Um, she studies a heat shock response and it was su- super cool. And so <laughs> that's how I ended up going to graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> Are just like a series of opportunities and I just took them. And of course, you exactly. know, I, I worked hard, but I didn't get there by myself, right? If my if my dad hadn't made that choice to, you know, yeah. work in the oil industry so we'd have opportunities. Yeah. Right, like that wouldn't have been available. If I didn't have, if I wasn't, you know, pale enough of skin, I probably mm-hmm. would have been looked over for a lot of opportunities. Exactly. You know, I, I didn't get there just by hard work. It was just like, these opportunities are mm-hmm. open because of all of these different situations. And, you know, it does take yeah. hard work to find them. It does take hard work to do them. Yeah. But there was like, I wasn't alone, right? Mm-hmm. This is all what landed me to UCSF. So that was part one of this episode. Come back in two weeks to listen to part two, where Dr. Mera gives us concrete examples of tools we can use to help us address unconscious biases. Thank you for listening. If you want to put a face to the voices you just heard, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at LatinxCan. If you have questions or feedback, you can email us at latinxcan at gmail.com. And if you want to support our project, please leave a review. We have made it easy for you and added the links to the show notes. That's it for now. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And remember, unidos somos más.
Hi, Alexis again with just one last ask. Do you love the podcast? Of course you do. You're listening to the outro after all. One of the best things you can do to support us is tell your friends. Ask them if you can look something up on their phone, then secretly sneak into their podcast app, find us, and click subscribe. Or, you know, you can tell them about it the normal way too. Either or, your pick. We trust you. Tell your friends.